Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe so you won't miss a new episode. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Deepak Kaura. Hey, Deepak, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here, and thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. Now, Deepak, allow me to introduce Deepak. He's Chief Medical Officer of One Qubit and Synthesis Health. Now, he's worked all over the world, including five years in Qatar. He's also a serial angel investor and has invested in over 25 early stage companies. But he's also a trained uh, pediatric radiologist and you're based out of Vancouver, Canada. So again, Deepak, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited for this conversation. So thanks so much. And thanks for allowing me to have the opportunity to share some of my thoughts with you. Okay. Now, I'm going to start off with the first, very first question. And this is about one qubit. What is one qubit? So one qubit uh, is a company that sort of started in 2012 as a company centered around uh, the application or practical application of quantum computing. You know, we, we back in 2012, were seeing some very early work. The first commercially available quantum computer happened to exist in Vancouver. And uh, the founders of the company, who are friends of mine, basically thought, hmm, if we have pieces of hardware being developed, we don't really know how those pieces of hardware will be coded to actually answer the needs of industry. Meaning what sort of industrial problems exist today that are computationally intractable that quantum computers could solve. And so came the company. It basically was centered around software for quantum computers, much like Microsoft was centered around software for conventional computers. So that was the initial premise of founding the company was sort of looking out 10 years in the future and saying, we don't want to build for something that exists today. We want to build for something that exists 10 years from now. And that was a bit of the um, genesis, I guess, and the thought process that's become a part of the DNA of one qubit and certainly something that I um, very much respect and appreciate. Okay. We have to step back because... You're talking about quantum computing. You're talking about a company set up 10 years ago, which is going to develop something around quantum computing. Even today, almost 10 uh, years later, it's still, I would say, in the research phase. So, I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, about 10 years ago, nobody's ever heard of quantum computing. So... What's the background that all of a sudden these people realize, hey, we actually need to fund a company about this? And by the way, why is it called one qubit? That's a quite a peculiar one name. qubit. Uh, yeah, because the qubit is a is a measure of uh, processing power of a quantum computer, just like a bit is mm-hmm. in a conventional computer. Okay. So one qubit, meaning the first qubit, and so that was the uh, the sort of little interesting play on building the first piece of. Um, software technology to power these computers being the, the first qubit. And, uh, and so that was the idea behind the genesis. Um, the, 
the, the company itself, very interestingly, came to life based on the fact that um, the two founders, Andrew and Landon, both uh, came from a pretty diverse background. Mm-hmm. Um, one is an investment banker and the other is a finance and um, philosophy major. And so, uh, yeah, neither of them have quantum computing in their DNA, but both of them have um, what I think is a very unique skill set. And that skill set is to, one, be hungry for knowledge, and two, once you have knowledge, to try to look at the art of possible by projecting out what that knowledge that you gain today might have for impact into the future. And um, like most innovators, they have those two very fundamental principles at, op- uh, at work. And, and so why did they form the, comp- the company? They basically looked at this and said, well, what's the next horizon of computation? You know, we're already starting to see people develop uh, technologies that were application-specific integrated circuits, right? So we, we, we sort of developed these computers. People have developed these computers. And the computers have become, conventional computers have become um, multi-capable uh, or all-purpose, sort of like the laptop that you have. Yeah. And then people realize that actually we're reaching the point where, I don't know if you remember back in the day, you'd have the Pentium 386 and then the 486 and the 586. Yeah. And, the, and, and, then, and then even Apple was guilty of that. Well, now we, we, we produce, you know, we, our, our, our processor speed is 1.2 gigahertz. Now it's 1.4 gigahertz. Now it's two gigahertz, you know, and it just keeps going on and on. And then that race sort of, people quickly started to stop saying the advancement in terms of processor speed, because that no longer was the rapid rate at which the the, um, processor speed was evolving, because we were running up against um, physical limitations. You know, the size of the components on a chip were now being split by 20 nanometers, right? So, So you start getting a whole bunch of crazy things that happen when you go sort of below 10 nanometers on a chip. And, um, and so we were beginning to see people say, well, we shouldn't build uh, computers that are all purpose. Why don't we build um, specific circuits that do specific things? And probably the best and most approachable example of that is the face ID chip in your Apple iPhone. That chip is a application specific integrated circuit. It can't add two plus two. It can't broadcast a Zoom meeting. It can't do any of those things. What it does extraordinarily well is look at 300 or so points on your face and tell you that it's you. And that's you know, it's built just for the application. And, and so you say sort of 10 years, okay, well, we, we looked at quantum computing 10 years ago and said, well, there's not much going on in this space, but knowing full well that actually, if you want to look at what's going to happen in the future, you look at what's happening in academia today. So if you look at, the, we already can predict with reasonable clarity, if you look at the amount of work happening in academics and say, okay, well, if we're looking at academic work today, typically three to 10 years out, what we see in academia ends up being an industry. And so, so they were looking at some of this work in quantum and saying, wow, we're really seeing a heat up in terms of funding for quantum computers. And D-Wave had opened in Vancouver and had a significant amount of funding that was provided to D-Wave for building the first commercially available quantum computer. And there were a whole bunch of other companies starting to spend some time in this space. They said, well, let's 
we should build the software for it. We should see how these computers actually work uh, and what, they, what they're useful for. And so that's how it started. And then we've sort of moved from there to recognizing that, yes, we're still in the research phase, but actually there are some practical things that we've learned. Some of those practical things, and this is, happens in the journey of most innovators, right? They, they start out thinking they're gonna do something and then realize, wow, actually we learned a whole bunch of things from thinking we would do this. And yes, that's still our long-term goal, but there are a bunch of things that we can do in the interim to get to that long-term goal. Yes, you have Recognize. a couple of examples of uh, serendipity taking place? I do, yeah. And here's, here's, here's sort of one of them. So when we looked at building algorithms, we recognized that, and this, remember, 2012, machine learning was sort of just starting to get a little bit more popular and deep learning while it had existed in its conventional forms from a, in a research laboratory invented by sort of three very prolific Canadian scientists. It was, it was still not generally applicable until, you, until Google had done something very, very fascinating and looked at a bunch of YouTube videos and found cats in YouTube videos using deep learning. And that was sort of the transformational moment for machine learning, late 2012, early 2013 around what deep learning had the promise to do. And at that point in time, people were looking at matrix multipliers on GPUs and all sorts of really interesting things. And the GPU became a hot commodity, GPU meaning graphical processing unit. So, so what happened was you look at this evolution of computation, you realize there's another example of an application specific integrated circuit, a GPU. We realized that, hey, you look at this and you think there are a whole bunch of things that are happening in the world of conventional computing processing that haven't quite made it to quantum and that there's actually a bunch of steps before we get to the general all-purpose quantum computer. We have the predecessor to that, which is called the um, noisy intermediate stage quantum computer, the NISC, right? And that's what exists today. So Google has one, IBM has one, D-Wave has one, a bunch of Japanese companies have them, China has them, these NISCs which means that they're still really error prone. They don't, you know, they're very limited in what they can be used for processing, but they're very experimental. But if you back it up one level before that, there are algorithms that are made for these NISCs that are physics-based algorithms that use some of the properties for, for quantum computing and code them onto conventional, slightly conventional uh, computing processing. And, uh, and we call that quantum inspired computation. And, um, and so what we're able to do is sort of take this, 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 create this or understand this spectrum where you've got all purpose quantum computing here, you've got a general purpose um, conventional computer, you have application specific integrated circuits, you have um, quantum inspired computation, then you have noisy intermediate stage quantum computers, and then the final one. And, and all of those stages are, are stages that we actually use for application of technology. So let me give you an example. In the world of quantum computing, which is the part that excites me the most from a, as a physician, is if you look at quantum and start thinking about what it means for us as, as living beings, um, the whole concept of quantum biology, you, know, you and me and everybody else, all our molecules and our subatomic particles all operate based on quantum theory, as crazy as it sounds. These sort of really bizarre, sort of concepts that uh, everything is energy states and, and, um, and, and really most of us uh, don't really understand that particles can transmit to particles in a remote 
uh, area without really ever communicating with one another and this whole concept of quantum entanglement and things like this. This is happening on in our bodies every day in every single cell. Um, what quantum computing brings for us, which is very exciting, is the opportunity when when it when we get to all purpose is quantum computing is understanding what happens at that biological level. So how do we back that up? We recognize that actually, in order to understand how various chemicals interact with other chemicals, we need to understand their energy states. And understanding those energy states is really a very complicated process. So we are now able to use some quantum modeling, some quantum inspired computation. And with that quantum inspired computation, we are able to, sorry about that, I got interrupted there. We are able to identify what, um, what various energy levels and how molecules are gonna interact with each other at, at various energy states, and then predict which interactions are going to have a higher degree of success versus not a degree of success. Okay. And so uh, the world of chemistry is changing dramatically because of quantum computing. Hey, Deepak, I, I, I really wanna talk to uh, about you now because I'm still curious why you as a pediatric radio, radio, uh, radiologist, like as a yeah. trained doctor, you're talking so knowledgeable about quantum computing. I can relatively grasp uh, what you're sharing with us. So thank you for that, for explaining it so well. But now I'm get, I'm almost getting the idea that you're using your medical background to help design the quantum computing or what is your role as chief medical officer? How do you, yeah, how did you get involved? Yeah, so I got involved just because Andrew and Landon said to me, D, we recognize you have a vision for where machine learning could go in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so they said, we know that machine learning is, is very much in the, in the classical space mm -hmm. right now, the conventional compute space. Mm -hmm. But we know at some point in the future, this will move to the quantum space where there'll be a hybridization of compute across quantum and uh, conventional imaging. Uh, conventional uh, computing. So, so I got involved because I had a vision for the fact that I truly believe machine learning will be transformational in the delivery of healthcare. And I, I do believe that um, building technologies today for what will be five or 10 years from now is very much in my DNA. And so we met and we, we clicked and we've known each other now for Gosh, now nine years, okay. and uh, they've been they've been saying, "D, yeah. we got to do this. We got to do this." Yeah. So, but Deepak, when you go to medical school, you get trained on how the body works. You not get yeah. trained on computers. So, <laughs> how did you gain this skill uh, of this this knowledge that this could be the future for medicine? Um, yeah. So a lot of it was just being really inquisitive, right? And uh, and back in 2008, 2009, I started my journey into machine learning. And I'm not a computer scientist. I'm not a mathematician. I'm just an inquisitive guy who really thought, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to start looking at how do you do things differently. And I suppose if you want to think about, you know, the things that make me tick and the sort of... Uh, I, I think one of them is very much that it's it's sort of around how can we do things differently and by doing things differently, do things better. Um, there's a great book by Sir Ken Robinson. I don't know if you've ever watched his TED talk. It's oh, yes. a brilliant yes. TED talk. I love it. It's one of my favorite TED talks. And, and basically, Ken 
talks about you know applied creativity and uh, and being representative of innovation and i and i love that and so i'm a i think i'm a reasonably creative guy when it comes to thinking up ideas but applying that to real world problems and solving that is what i love to do so that's where it started 2008 2009 and you know it's taken a long time to get to this point but i do believe that we're now at the point where we will start deploying machine learning technologies into health environments which we're already doing now that will be transformative and will completely change the way we practice medicine okay and is is this just uh picking up the concept of machine learning in a newspaper on uh, on the tv whatever there has to be some point where so it is the first yeah. time to learn about this and hey it it created this idea of okay you're going to laugh. Yeah. You're going to laugh at this, but it's this is exactly how it happened. I happened to be having breakfast with the one of the deans of the Faculty of Medicine yeah. here in Calgary in Canada. And um, I asked him, I said, so what does your lab get funded to do? And he says, we do normalization algorithms on rat embryos. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? People pay you to do that? And he started laughing at me. He says, well, it's important work, D. I said, well, why? Explain to me what it is. He said, well, we take these embryos of rats and we CT scan them in a micro CT scanner. And then the lights went off in my head. What do you mean CT scan, right? And yeah. so, in, and he says, we CT scan them and then we can predict based on the CT if the using normalization algorithms, whether the rat is going to be born with a ridge going here or two ridges going on the side here. I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. So I said, can you, because you have PhD students that are involved in CT, what if I were to give you diagnostic imaging CT uh, from a medical imaging perspective in humans? And he said, "Uh, never tried it, but uh, why do you think that would be useful? And I said, well, you know, we do a lot of things that are, you know, really mundane tasks for radiologists. And we also do some things where radiologists make mistakes all the time. I said, if we could standardize and use a machine learning algorithm to sort of look and normalize various parts of the body and then figure out which parts are abnormal, I said that that there's something really interesting in in that concept. And so began my journey of trying to determine what's normal, what's abnormal and looking at machine learning. And, you know, um, at 2009, it became obvious that this was going to be a transformational technology. And back then deep learning was not even to be heard of. We were doing, you know, support vectors and it was just a whole bunch of other things that we were doing. And bottom line is we now, we now know that, uh, that the machines are really good at that stuff. So what I'm picking up from this, so one of the lessons learned um, for me right now is be curious, be yes. a very curious person, and also, um, I say, do a little bit of daydreaming as well. Because so y- you learn about something and then just imagine how you can apply this, and so people can have a vision look, hey, this is how this could work. You know, Fritz, there's a fantastic statement by Muhammad Ali. If you ever look it up, it's amazing. I love this statement. It's 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 him standing there like this. It's an it, Adidas took this thing and yeah. made it a commercial. It's him standing there like this, holding his gloves up, and some guy is knocked out on the ground, and and he says, "Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it." Right? And then he goes on to say, "Impossible is just temporary. Impossible is 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 not a dare. It is not a it's not a declaration. It's a dare." Um, and then he says, "At the end, impossible is nothing." 
And, uh, and so I would like, I, I've read that quote, I've memorized that quote, I've um, lived and tried to live that, that quote. And I think people who are young and old listening to this should come away with an understanding that, that don't let anybody tell you things are impossible. Impossible is potential, impossible is temporary and impossible you know, is, is, uh, is, uh, is, is just don't just ignore it. It's, it's a temporary thing. Well, I re I, I do realize that the dream you're sharing right now uh, is also being recognized because even the world economic forum has named one qubit as a global yeah. technology pioneer. So you're definitely being noticed in the world as leading, uh, you could say the, the development of, uh, quantum technology. Um, yeah. So well done, by the way. Thank um, you. Thank you. Now I was wondering, can you take the audience? Uh, well, uh, 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 can you share the vision of how this is going to be applied? Uh, do you have an idea of what the first applications could be? Yeah, I think I, I, I firmly believe that the first applications of this technology are going to be in chemistry. In fact, we're doing that right now. And uh, we have a number of partnerships with very significant chemistry companies looking at um, energy, uh, basically energy um, calculations between various uh, various chemical interactions and uh, developing new chemicals um, based on and our understanding, a much deeper understanding of uh, energy states. Um, I think the other place that you're going to see this, and you've already seen it happening in China, for example, is quantum communication and encryption. I think that's going to be another significant piece. I think it's going to be, a, 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 from a healthcare and life sciences perspective, you, we will definitely see impact of quantum on, on, uh, through chemistry on um, situations where we actually have the capability to identify new molecules for drugs. And more importantly, identify similarity of uh, drugs that act on different molecules. So there's going to be a whole scope of work that's coming out of quantum computing that will, uh, when we have quantum computers that are capable of doing this type of processing, we can already do it in simulation right now. But once we actually have accurate uh, quantum computers that can accurately reflect what's happening at the subatomic level, that will have it. And then the final sort of thesis on machine learning, right? Where are we going to go with machine learning? I get asked all the time by people, you know, is, is, is quantum machine learning the future of machine learning? And um, realistically, I, I don't think so yet. I think it's still got a long, long way to go. I think we've done some early research work on quantum machine learning and what I call quantum pre-processing of machine learning algorithms, where theoretically we've shown that you can use less data to uh, develop conventional machine learning algorithms if you use quantum pre-processing. Um, and, and I think certainly as we look at some of the um, capabilities of um, quantum computers when they evolve, I suspect that quantum machine learning will have a much bigger role to play, but I, I would tell you that that's still a long way away. It is long away. So, because the way you describe it for me, it, at the end, it, it could be seen as AI on steroids. It's in the same, uh, it's an extension it, it, of that development. It could be, it could be, you know, and it's probably more on the computational side of actually building the algorithms that, that we might see some advances. I think, you know, we're still stuck on, in the world of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, particularly in the healthcare sector on data, 
right? How do you make sense of that data? The vast majority of time that we spend is actually uh, getting the data, making sure the data is um, intelligent for a machine, um, organizing it, and and then and then um, making sure it doesn't do all the bad things that data can do. Provide, for example, racist outputs, or provide outputs that are too biased in one direction or another direction, and uh, and that they're comprehensive enough. Because the machine learning algorithms we have today are actually very sophisticated, and we don't really need a quantum computer. What we need is really much better data, and we need. Um, a whole bunch of other things like regulatory environments that support the deployment of these solutions. Wow, now, I, I have to let this uh, think in uh, Deepak. Um, hey, Smart, you already mentioned what inspires you is that great, uh, great uh, quote of Muhammad Ali. Um, are there other sources of inspiration for you to uh, get you? Yeah. You know, I, I, I sort of have, um, I have a lot to thank my partner, my wife for, um, you know, I've met her uh, when I was 17. Uh, she's the first girl I ever dated. And, um, and when we got married when I was 23. And, um, and I think, you know, in, in, my, in my interactions with her very early on, um, I, there were a whole bunch of sort of family related issues with respect to, you know, not potentially wanting to, um, uh, go against the grain of my family and, and marry somebody that I wanted to marry versus somebody that was introduced to me, you know, the conventional sort of Indian type of um, philosophy to how do you get married? Um, and, and I went against the grain at that time. It's the first time in my life where I ever went against the grain. And I remember walking into a market in Florida and right on the front, like the little, it was almost like it was made for me right on the front desk. Uh, there's like a little table set up there. And Nike had just come out with the uh, statement, just do it. This was in 1990 and 1989, 19. And, uh, and I remember looking at that hat and it just spoke to me. It just, it just spoke to me. I picked up that. I never worn a hat in my life before. I bought the hat for, I still remember this for $20 back then was a lot of money. I bought the hat. And I swear to God, I wore that hat every day. I looked at myself in the mirror every morning before I went to school. I looked at myself and I started saying, if anything in my life, I'm just going to do it. Right. And it became those three words became like operative uh, words in my in my DNA. I bet you they're imprinted somewhere in my DNA. At some point, somebody's going to somebody's going to find them and go, <laughs> what the hell? How the hell did that happen? But but yeah, I, I, it's those, those words are so powerful if you take them to heart. I mean, you know, people can, can, can misinterpret them and you just don't want to, you want to make sure you never do something to hurt someone. Right. And so that's sort of probably the second most significant piece. My parents are really good people and, and I've learned from them what, and I think all human beings know this, what is the fundamental construct of good. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you want to just do good in your life. And, and, and so if you, combine the just do it with do good yeah. um those two things are very very powerful and they've certainly driven absolutely everything i do in my life and i think probably the other thing is um, and, and i'm not sure if you have kids but whoever has kids yes. out there um becoming a father and, and a parent is a is a really humbling experience the hardest job in the world and um it's a massive responsibility and it makes you pause and think about what really matters and, um, and that's really, and so probably I think that's, that's probably one of the most, meeting my wife and 
having that sort of just yeah. do it experience and, and, and being a father are the two sort of most important things because they make you think what's important. They make you reflect and say, well, what are the values that I want to live my life by? And what are the values that I want to espouse on my kids and how's the type of framework that I'm going to build for them that's going to give them um, the tools that they need to be successful in life. And so we came up in our family with, uh, with three values and it was respect, listen, and care. And, um, and if you follow, I told, I've been saying this to my kids since they were babies, if you follow these three things um, and you use them in one, some shape, way, shape or form in every decision that you make, it's pretty difficult to make a wrong decision. Uh, fully agree. And I also realized that I've, when you said just do it, I also immediately linked it to a statement you made earlier, and that is be curious. Because being right. curious is also about trying to understand the unknown. And you have to just do it sometimes to dive into the unknown. Definitely correct. Without a doubt. Absolutely. You've got to have the courage, right? And, uh, and, and, and that courage to believe in yourself and, 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 the, and the courage to believe that if you are to encounter something that you have not encountered before, which by and large, when you try to do new things, you're going to encounter things you've never encountered before, that you have the resilience, meaning that you want to stick with it. And, uh, and you want to, uh, you, you have enough people around you or knowledge that's innate that allows you to build frameworks that help you to navigate uncertain things. Uh, Deepak, so far, great, great interview. Unfortunately, I'm also conscious of the time, so I really need to, uh, you could say, shut down a couple of questions before we go. And that is, sure. uh, can you share with me, what was the biggest learning and your biggest, I would say, failures or mistakes you've made in this awesome journey with uh, One Qubit? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, probably the biggest failure is underestimating the amount of time it takes to do things right. Uh, you know, as an innovator and as a guy who, who believes very much in just do it, sometimes you run into the harsh reality of you want to just do it, but others don't. <laughs> yes. And it's sort of this, yeah. you know, inertia that you've got to overcome and you just you, you, you're you ready everyone else is ready why aren't they following me yeah yeah it's not even so much why aren't they following me it's like how come how come this is so difficult to do when the answer is so simple and and that learning has been a particularly poignant for me being in healthcare and recognizing that healthcare and the culture of healthcare is a really difficult one. And I've been working within health systems, leading them, um, you know, regulating them and being a physician, like, I'm sorry, I'm wearing my, my scrubs right now, because yeah. I was doing procedures early this morning. But, um, uh, you know, doing, being a doctor within within a health system, they, they are really challenging. The culture of medicine is one that is reticent to change. Mm -hmm. It just is. And so you've got to pull, push, move, go up, go down, whichever way you can to try to make that thing move in the right direction. And that for me has probably been the greatest lesson is don't underestimate. Like, you know, people think that, oh, I'll, I'll be able to build a machine learning algorithm and deploy it into a healthcare environment in one year. Uh, good luck. Ain't going to happen. 
no chance, right? I mean, you're talking a five-year journey before you even open your eyes. And so better make sure that you understand that. And, uh, and the same thing in, in, in computation, right? Like we had anticipated that there would be much more significant advances in quantum computation. Um, and in 10 years from now, we would be in a, in a slightly different position. But of course, we've had, to, we've had to, to, to look at it and say, well, we can't just be a quantum computing focused company. We've got to be a company focused on advanced computation and redefining what we call intractable computational problems. And let's figure out which types of computation we have enough smart people, we have about 140 people in the company, we have enough smart people to understand what the different applications are. And so that's that, that, that would be probably my biggest learning is it always takes longer. Okay, so maybe that's the, the Achilles heel of an optimist, uh, always assuming it things is. move quickly. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> A final question. Um, what has been your takeaway of all these years with trying to create a better world uh, by applying uh, one qubit uh, and uh, quantum technology. And maybe second question, can you predict in 10 years time how what's going to happen with this technology? I think the takeaway for me is to um, be convicted, right? In what you're doing, be believe in what you're doing. I often say the most important thing for a leader to be able to do is to adequately demonstrate to the people that they lead or work with a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And so if one as a leader tends to be um, vague or inconsistent in the uh, definition of a purpose, yeah. then you, you risk the company and the people that you're working with and your teams that you're building becoming defocused and unmotivated. And so for me, um, my mission has always been, I'm going to build machine learning for healthcare. We're going to transform healthcare. And it has never deviated from that at all, ever. And despite all the headaches and all the heartache and all the difficulty thing, you've got to be convicted. I believe this is the right thing to do. And I can motivate people to make sure that they understand this is the right thing to do. And I'm going to be consistent in my message. Right? I think probably the most important piece. Now, there's a secondary corollary to that, in that sometimes when you believe in these things and they don't work out, right? And you're not making any progress. You try once, you try twice, you try three times, and then you look like an idiot because it's just not working. So, so you may have to, you know, eventually eat humble pie and say, my goodness, what I believed and what I was convicted in doing doesn't make sense. And at that point, you know, true leadership comes in and says, okay, well, let's pivot. Let's look at this as an agile process. Let's look at, we have great people around us. Let's figure out what else we can do or what sort of detour we can take to either come back to the original vision or abandon the original vision and repurpose the company. So there are two steps there. And, um, and, and the most important first step is, is, is be convicted in what you're doing. Hey, Deepak, I want to thank you so much for this great discussion about one qubit, but quantum technology, uh, you are on the right path. Uh, I'm certain about that. I mean, even the World Economic Forum believes that. So I am very curious where this is going to lead to in the next couple of years. So I'll be following you. Thank you so much. Sounds great. Wonderful. Nice to meet you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, Fritz. 
Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast. A platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.